If you would take your Bible and turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 5. 2 Corinthians chapter 5. 2 Corinthians chapter 5. This morning I'm going to begin at verse 16. I'm going to read down through the end of the chapter. So 2 Corinthians 5 and verse 16. It says, Wherefore henceforth know we no man after the flesh. Yea, though we have known Christ after the flesh, now henceforth know we him no more. Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. And all things are of God, who hath reconciled us to himself by Jesus Christ, and hath given to us the ministry of reconciliation. To wit, that God was in Christ, reconciling the world unto himself, not imputing their trespasses unto them, and hath committed unto us the word of reconciliation. Now then, we are ambassadors for Christ. As though God did beseech you by us, we pray you in Christ's stead, be ye reconciled to God. For he hath made him to be sin for us, who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. You know, during the days of the Lord's ministry on, while he was on earth, there was a young man who saw Jesus as a man and a threat to his religion of the day. After the resurrection and ascension of Christ, he became an avowed enemy of those that he referred to as in this way. He was a hate-filled man that would spit on the ground upon hearing the name of Jesus. He severely persecuted the early Christians and was greatly feared by them. Ananias, when told by the Lord to go minister to this man, said, I have heard of him by many, and how much evil he hath done to the saints at Jerusalem. Later, he came to Jerusalem after he had met the Lord and, and gotten saved. He came to Jerusalem and, and attempted to join with the disciples at Jerusalem, but they were all afraid of him. And did not believe that he was a disciple of the Lord. But, you know, after his conversion on the Damascus Road, you know you who I'm talking about, he was a changed man. He preached Christ, not as a man, but as the Son of God. He no longer saw men and women to be used for gain or as a threat to his political ideals, but as lost souls made in the image of God and for whom Christ died. You see, he was a new creation. That's the title of the message this morning, A New Creation. Let's pray and we'll look at this. Heavenly Father, we do thank you again for the opportunity and privilege we have to open your precious word. We thank you for sending your son, the Lord Jesus Christ, to become a man, who became a man, that he might become sin for us, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him, a new creation in Christ Jesus. Father, we pray as we look into the Word of God today that you would encourage our hearts, challenge us, help us to see things anew as new creatures in Christ. 
And Lord, we pray that be any in our midst this morning who may be listening by way of live stream. I pray this, that, that maybe don't not have assurance of eternal life, have not had their understanding open and been made new creatures in Christ Jesus. I pray the Spirit of God would bring conviction and repentance, faith in the Lord Jesus Christ who alone can save and give eternal life. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Verse 6, 17 says, Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. And that word, word creature could, could be translated creation. He's a new creature or a new creation. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. Like we, we heard yesterday or Friday night at the men's camp out, the word if here could be translated since. So you could read it this way. Since we are new creatures, since we are new, oh, we are in Christ, we are new creatures. That's the idea. It'd be like saying, if you're a Welch, not because, not are you a Welch, but because you are a Welch, you work hard. You know, that, that's the idea. And, and, it, because if you notice here, he says that he hath, verse 18, hath reconciled us to himself by Jesus Christ. So he's talking to people that have been reconciled, that are children of God. So he says, so if we are, and since we are uh, in Christ Jesus, we are new creatures. We are a new creation. This, this new speaks of a new kind. It speaks of something unprecedented. It is uncommon, unheard of, a brand new thing, something never possessed before. The word is used in John 13, 34, where he says, a new commandment I give unto you, that you love one another, as I have loved you, and that you also love one another. That was kind of a new thing, that someone would die for someone else. That's a new thing, but that's the kind of love that God commands of his children. Kind of reminds us of those at Athens, when Paul preached there at Athens, they took him, it says, and brought him to Areopagus, saying, May we know what this new doctrine is, whereof thou speakest. For thou bringest a certain strange thing to our ears, we would know therefore what these things mean. For all the Athenians and strangers which were there spent their time in nothing else, but either to tell or hear some new, some novel, or some uncommon, never be heard of thing. That's what they did. That's how they spent their time. So if any man, since we are in Christ, the Bible says here he is a new creature. Old things are passed away or passing away. Behold, all things are become new. And I want to look this morning at some new things from this passage of Scripture that we have since we are in Christ. First of all, this new creation means a new understanding. A new understanding. I want you to notice two things here. First of all, a new understanding of the person of Jesus Christ. In verse 16, the Bible says, Wherefore henceforth know we no man after the flesh. Yea, though we have known Christ after the flesh, yet now henceforth know we him no more. You see, when Saul of Tarsus was first introduced to Jesus Christ, what he saw with his eyes was a man. He saw a man. That's all he saw. He saw a man. 
And he knew that this man, he understood that this man was a carpenter from Galilee and Nazareth. Nazareth. You know, what's the bad place around here you'd say somebody's from? Well, that's where, that's, that's, that's what he was referring to. When you, we for, you know, and they said, this, he's from Nazareth. Nobody wants to admit where it is, you know. Um, you know, he's from Nazareth. And what good thing can come out of Nazareth? So he saw a man. A man who was a teacher, a friend of publicans, traders, tax collectors, and sinners who did some good deeds and seemed to help some. However, was also one that spoke against and exposed his religious charade. He was, a th- he was seen as a threat to his religion as a Pharisee and his way of life. And is that not how many people see Jesus today? Oh, he is a great prophet. Oh yeah, he was a great prophet. He was a religious teacher. He was a friend that cares for the poor and the down and out. But if that's all Jesus is, he's just a man that can't save you from your sin. And while some of that is true, he is so much more than that. As Saul declared in, at Damascus in Acts chapter 20, or 9 and verse 20, after he got saved on the road to Damascus, he declared him to be the Son of God. This Jesus is the Son of God. And, he, and when he came to Jerusalem, he disputed with them and, and again declared Jesus to be the Christ, the Messiah, the Son of God, the sent one of God, God with us. And it was there that the Jews set out to kill him. In Acts 13, he preaches the resurrection of Christ, which again proves him to be the Son of God with power. In Acts chapter 18 at Corinth, he testified that Jesus was the Christ. When he wrote to the churches in Rome, he said that he was declared to be the Son of God with power by the resurrection of Jesus Christ. In 2 Corinthians 5.19, here he writes that God was in Christ. He would write to Timothy in 1 Timothy 3.16 and say, And great was the mystery of godliness. God was manifest in the flesh. You see, he got a new understanding of who Jesus was. He was no more just this man from Galilee, this carpenter from Galilee or from Nazareth. He was the Son of God. See, what you believe about Jesus Christ can change whether you have life or death. John declared him to be John 1.1, 1, 1, in the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Jesus himself declared before the Pharisees, before Abraham was, I am. I am the Almighty. I am the self-existent one. Paul would later declare to Timothy again in 1 Timothy 6.15, which in his times he shall show who is the only potentate, the King of kings and Lord of lords. 
See, a Jesus after the flesh cannot save you from your sin. A Jesus after the flesh cannot comfort and aid every person in their walk with the Lord. You see, a Jesus after the flesh is limited by time and space. flesh, he would be, he, you know, when he was here, he limited himself, he limited some of his attributes of, of the Godhead, he limited himself to time and space. He couldn't be everywhere at the same time while he was on earth as a man. You see, he's not just a man. He's God. This is why he said to his disciples, when they were filled with sorrow and he was getting ready to leave them in John 16, 17, 7, he said this, Nevertheless, I tell you the truth, it is expedient for you that I go away. It's expedient for you that I go away. For if I go not away, the Comforter will not come unto you. But if I depart, I will send him unto you. You see, if he, if he would have stayed here in the flesh, He'd have been limited by time and space, but if he would leave them and, 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 and be resurrected and, and go to the Father, he would send the comfort of the Spirit of God as a representative of him who is omnipresent. You know, the Bible tells us now that Jesus walks in the midst of his churches. Now go to Revelation chapter 1. Revelation chapter 1. And verse... 19, Revelation 1, verse 19. Write the things which thou hast seen, the things which are, and the things which shall be hereafter. The mystery of the seven stars which thou sawest in my right hand, and the seven golden candlesticks. The seven stars are the angels of the seven churches. The word angel means messenger. We believe that's referring to the pastors of those seven churches that were in existence in that day. And, notice this, and the seven candlesticks which thou sawest are the seven churches. Go to chapter 2, verse 1. Unto the angel of the church, so the messenger, he's, I believe he's writing this letter to the pastor of the church, of Ephesus, which is the candlestick, these things saith he that holdeth the seven stars in his right hand, and walketh in the midst of the seven golden candlesticks. Now you might say, now preacher, how can the Lord Jesus Christ walk in the midst of every one of his churches. That's why he had to leave and send the comforter. The Holy Spirit is omnipresence present and he is everywhere present so he can be in every true New Testament church all at the same time. He's not limited by space because he doesn't have a body of flesh. You know, the Bible tells us in Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 22 that the church is the habitation of God through the Spirit. And of course, he told his disciples in John 14, 16, I will pray the Father and he shall give you another comforter that he may abide with you forever. He will never leave thee nor forsake thee. See, Paul got a new understanding of who the person of Christ really is. And we didn't have a right understanding of who Jesus Christ is. 
And he gives us that when we were born again. The second thing we see here is there's a new understanding of people. Notice verse 16 again. Wherefore henceforth know we no man after the flesh. Yea, though we have known Christ after the flesh, yet know, now henceforth know we him no more. He says, wherefore henceforth know we no man after the flesh. You see, the old world of Saul of Tarsus was this. It was us Jews and them Gentiles. Us Jews and them Gentiles. That's the way it was. We Jews have the true God. We've been given the word of God. We have the history of being of being the people of God, and the rest are unclean Gentile dogs. With whom we have no fellowship. That's the way it was. In Saul of Tarsus' world. That's the way it was in the in, in, in the day of in day, Jesus' day. That's how the Jews viewed the world. It was us and them. And we are God's people, and they are not. And them Jews would not go to the Gentiles lest they be made unclean. You remember when Peter saw that sheet let down from heaven with all kinds of unclean things on it, and the Lord said, Rise, Peter, kill and eat. He said, Not so, Lord. Never eaten any anything unclean. You know, this happened three times, and then there's a knock at the door. He's, he's wondering what that means, and there's a knock at the door. And there's a messenger from a Gentile of Roman centurion. And the Lord says, you arise and go with them. Peter realizes, you know what? That's the meaning of that dream. I am not to call these Gentiles, this Roman centurion, unclean or unfit to hear the gospel. You know, furthermore, the Roman Gentiles were a threat to their religion and their way of life. But is it not true that that's how often we view the world? Do we feel threatened by the world or intimidated by the world? You know, as I was studying for this, I, I had, to, had to admit and had to confess that sometimes that's how I feel. Threatened or intimidated by the world. You know, Jesus told his disciples in Luke 12, verse 4, I say unto you, my friends, be not afraid of them that kill the body, and after that have no more that they can do to you. But I will forewarn you whom you shall fear. Fear him which after he hath killed hath both power to cast into hell, yea, I say unto you, fear him. Words, don't fear them that can kill the body. They can't do anything else. But you need to fear God. Don't be afraid of them. Be afraid of God. Fear God. You know, Isaiah, 
66, Isaiah 66, and verse 5, the prophet Isaiah said, Hear the word of the Lord, ye that tremble his word. Your brethren that hated you, that cast you out for my name's sake, said, Let the Lord be glorified, let, and, but he shall appear to your joy, and they shall be ashamed. So he says, Ye that tremble, or that fear the word of God, you know, your brethren are going to hate you. If, you. if you fear God and you serve God, your brethren are going to hate you and they're going to cast you out and they even do it. They may be even those who say they're Christians. But he says, let the Lord be glorified. He shall appear to your joy and they shall be ashamed. Proverbs 29.25 says, The fear of man bringeth a snare, but whoso putteth his trust in the Lord shall be saved. Safe. You see, so often we feel threatened or intimidated by those that oppose us. But we ought not. We ought not. Because if we have our trust in the Lord, we're safe. We're safe. Paul said in Philippians 1.21, for me to live is Christ. If to die is gain. So why would I fear the persecution that I'm facing? Why should I be feel threatened by the society or culture around me? Yeah, you know, we look at our society, look at our culture, and we say, it's bad. Do you ever think about what society and culture was like in Paul's day? You know, those ruthless, tyrannical Romans. You know, he had the Jews with their sacrificial rituals who hated him and wanted to put him to death. There was the pagan Gentiles that many times would oppose him. There was the immoral Corinthians with all their corruption and the corrupt Roman governors and the political leaders of his day. You had then the intellectual scholars of Athens, but he, he, he just simply saw them as the same group of people, all lost sinners, all made in the image of God, souls that needed to be saved. That's how he saw them. And he wasn't afraid of any of them. None of them intimidated him. Because he knew that he had the power of God on his side. He was not threatened. But so often we feel threatened by some. You know, I'm, I have to, I hate to admit this, but sometimes you knock on a door and a certain kind of person meets you and, and immediately you kind of feel intimidated. Why? Why should I feel that way? Because of maybe the way they appear? Or maybe they will tell you something about themselves? And immediately there's this, there's this, there's this apprehension, this fear comes upon you. But 
But really all they are is a sinner in a body of flesh living a life of sin. I mean, if you were to meet somebody on the, on the street and you knew they were a transgender, would you be a quick to witness to them as you would if you met somebody that looked like me on the street that you didn't know? Why do you do that? Why should you feel that way? Because that's just a nice address there. Well, they're worse. They're more wicked. Are they? Are they more lost than this one over here? No, they're not. You see, our eyes deceive us. Our eyes deceive us. But when we, when we learn to see things and learn to understand things from God's perspective, it changes the way we look at people. We see no man after the flesh. What we see then is lost souls, sinners, that need a Savior. We don't simply see a person that's living a wicked life. I mean, we see it. That's not our focus. In fact, look at 1 Corinthians chapter 6. In verses 9 through 11, you know, Paul preached all these, all, all kinds of people. And he had all kinds of people, all kinds of sinners come to Christ. 1 Corinthians 6, verse 9, Know ye not that the unrighteous shall not inherit the kingdom of God? Be not deceived, neither fornicators, nor adult, idolaters, nor adulterers, nor effeminate. The word effeminate means men who are soft or women-like. You know what that sounds like to me? Transgenders. And then it says, abusers themselves of mankind, that's homosexuals. Then he says, thieves, covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor extortioners shall inherit the kingdom of God. And such were some of you. Such were some of you. You know, it didn't matter if it was a temple prostitute at Corinth. Paul would give the gospel to her. Or him. Because there was both. See, we ought not to regard one according to their flesh, but according to their spiritual state before God. That's how we ought to see people. That's how we ought to understand people. We ought not to look at things that are seen. In Second Corinthians 4 here in verse 18, Paul says, While we look not at things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen. For the things which are seen are temporal, but the things which are not seen are eternal. You see, if we look at things that are seen, what we're going to see is these people in their sin. We're going to start describing their sin. But if we look at things that are not seen, what we're going to see is they're a sinner that's lost, without hope and without God in this world. And they're going to die and go to hell. And we ought to give them the gospel so they have an opportunity to repent.
You know, throughout this, these next last two chapters, he's talked about things, not looking after things after sight. Uh, in verse, chapter 5, verse 1, we know that if our earthly house, that this type of word is all, we have a building, a God, and house not made with heavens, hands, eternal in the heavens. Again, something that's not seen with the eye. Uh, chapter 5, verse 7 says, we walk by faith, not by sight. See, we don't have to judge after the sight of the eyes. But after the spirit, after the heart. And here, in, even in chapter 5, here, verse 12, he says, For we commend not ourselves again to you, but give occasion to glory in our behalf, that you may have somewhat to answer them which glory in appearance and not in heart. You know, that person out in the world that's dressed like Mandy may look righteous, but they could be within full of dead men's bones, just like the Pharisees were. See, we're not to look at things after the sight of the eyes. We need to look at people and see people as the Lord did, as lost sheep having no shepherd. When we become a new creature in Christ, we have a new understanding. We also have a new relationship. Verse I want to notice two things here. First of all, we've been brought into an, into the family of God. Verse 17 and 18 says, Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he's a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things have become new. And all things are of God, who hath reconciled us to himself by Jesus Christ. You know, when Saul got saved and attempted to join the disciples at Jerusalem, what made the difference? I don't know if you remember what happened there. But he attempted to join himself with the disciples. They were all afraid of him. But Barnabas took him and brought him to the disciples and declared what things God had done through him at Damascus. You see, Barnabas acted as a mediator. He acted as a mediator. Our Lord Jesus Christ was the mediator that brought us to God. 2 Timothy 2.5 says, There is one God and one mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus. And he has reconciled us. The word reconciled means to receive one into favor. You see, we've been received into favor with God. Ephesians 1.6 describes it as being accepted in the beloved. We've been accepted by God into the family of God. Colossians 1.13 tells us that he's delivered us from the power of darkness and translated us into the kingdom of his dear son. He's given us power to become the sons of God. John 1.12, Romans 5.1, Therefore being justified by, by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Now we are at peace with him, we have a relationship with him, and there is therefore now no condemnation to them that are in Christ Jesus. You see, we've been accepted by God into the family of God. Furthermore, God does not impute. That word impute, notice notice there in verse 19. To wit that God was in Christ, reconciling the world unto himself, 
not imputing their trespasses unto them, and hath committed unto us the word of reconciliation. You see, God no longer imputes or, or puts on my account my trespasses. He doesn't impute them to me. Since I put my trust, my faith, in the Lord Jesus Christ. You know, Isaiah 53, 4-6 says, Surely he hath borne our griefs, carried our sorrows. Yet we did esteem him stricken, smitten of God, and afflicted. He was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him, and with his stripes we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord hath laid on him the iniquity of us all. You see, God laid on Jesus my iniquity. He took it from my account and put it on his. He no longer imputes it to me, he imputes it to the Lord Jesus. Psalm 32, 1 and 2, Blesses he whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Blessed is the man unto whom the Lord imputeth not iniquity, in whose spirit there is no guile. You see, God places, imputes, or, or, or charges all my sin to the Lord Jesus Christ. Let me, let me try and illustrate this for you. We all know that Andrew has a, uh, what we call a cross rocket. It's a fast motorcycle. I have other names to describe it too, but anyway, you know. And there's nothing wrong with having a motorcycle. In fact, I've had a few of mine. But suppose Andrew decides to get down through Rollsville 90 miles per hour. And the blue lights come on. And they pull him over. You see, the police didn't impute this to Andrew. They imputed it to Ryan, even though Andrew was the violator. When you put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, God no longer imputes your sin to you. He imputes them to Jesus Christ. I think verse 21 has to be one of the 
greatest verse in the Bible. Let me give you, let me, let me transliterate a little bit for you. For God hath made Jesus Christ sin for you. He that was without sin. That you might be made right with God. In Jesus Christ. He hath made him to be sin for us who knew no sin. That we might be made the righteousness of God in him. See we've been brought in. We've been, we've been brought into the family of God. We've been accepted by a holy and righteous God on the merits of our Lord Jesus Christ. But all of that, we've been given a new nature. Verse 19 and 20 says this, To wit, that God was in Christ reconciling the world on himself, not imputing their trespasses unto them, hath committed unto us the word of reconciliation, Now then, we are ambassadors for Christ, as though God did beseech you by us. We pray you in Christ's stead, be reconciled to God. God was in Christ reconciling the world unto themselves, not imputing their trespasses unto them. You know, we are all born in sin. We're born with a sin nature. That is, we have a natural inclination. That is, we have a bent or a will to do things that are contrary or pleasing to God. Or contrary, pleasing to all authority. That's just natural. In 1 Peter 4 and verse 3, Peter says, For the time past of our life may suffice us to have wrought the will of the Gentiles. When we walked in lasciviousness, lust, excessive wine, revelings, banquetings, abominable idolatries. Ephesians 2, 1 through 3 says, And you hath he quickened who were dead in trespasses and sin, who walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, and the spirit that now worketh in the children of disobedience, among whom we all had our conversation times past. Feeling the lust of the flesh and the desires of the mind. That was who we are. Who we were. We have a, we have, and you still have, a natural inclination to sin. But when you're born again, When you're made a new creature in Christ Jesus, you get a new nature. Another nature. And it's a divine nature. It is the very life of God. You know, and we can look at other people and say, well, I'm not as bad as they are. You know why? Probably because your parents beat it out of you. They disciplined it and taught it out of you. If, if we would have all been in Adam's shoes, you know what we've done? Same thing Adam did. We've done the same thing Adam did. And you ladies have done the same thing Eve did. Why? Because we have a natural bent to sin. But see, God gives us a new nature. A divine, what he calls a divine nature. 2 Peter 1.4 says, Wherefore are given unto us exceeding great and precious promises, that by these ye might be partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust. Uh, you know, we have been given the righteousness of God, a right restanding with God. Verse 21 tells us that. Uh, and, and Romans chapter 8, 
Verses 1 and 2 says, There is therefore now no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus, who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. For the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus hath made me free from the law of sin and death. You see, I was born under the law of sin and death. I could not break loose from the bondage of sin and death until the, until, until God appeared in the, in, the, in the person of Jesus Christ, and I put my trust in Him. He gives me the life of God and the Spirit of God and sets me free from the shackles. I am bound by. Now, I can still sin. But now, I have the power by the Spirit of God to not sin. To not sin. And it's the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus that has made me free. I don't have to sin anymore. You know, in Romans chapter 6, Paul said, What shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? God forbid. How shall we that are dead to sin live any longer therein? We don't have to live in sin. We don't have to live in it. That doesn't have to be our lifestyle. Because we have the Spirit of God. We've been given a divine nature. John calls it in 1 John 2.20, an unction from the Holy One. It's the Spirit of the, it's the gift of the Spirit of God to aid, to direct, to empower us to overcome the lusts of the flesh. You see, prior to my salvation, I was a child, I was a child of disobedience. Now I am His workmanship created in Christ Jesus unto good works, which God hath before ordained. I should walk in that. That workmanship means the idea there is I'm a product of God working in my life. So we have this. We have a new understanding. We have a new relationships. And finally, we have a new purpose. Verse 19 and 20. To wit that God was in Christ, reconciling the world on himself, not imputing their trespasses unto them, hath committed unto us the word of reconciliation. Now then, knowing all this, we are ambassadors for Christ. As though God did beseech you by us, we pray you in Christ's stead be ye reconciled to God. You see, we have a new purpose, and that is we have been given a ministry of reconciliation, of reconciling those lost sinners whom we have a new understanding of, of reconciling them to God, just like we were reconciled to God. And Paul says, you know, if you notice there in verse 20, he says, as in the middle of the verse, as though God did beseech you by us. See, somebody gave me the gospel, and now I'm giving it to you. That's what he's saying. And God is beseeching you, or drawing you, or compelling you, or, or pleading with you, or warning you by me to come to Christ. And that's our purpose. We are ambassadors. You know, an ambassador is a, a diplomatic official of highest rank sent by one sovereign or state to another as its representative. You know, it's a, it's a, it's a war crime to kill an ambassador from another country. It's an act of war. It's a serious offense. 
Why? Because he's a high-ranking official. And God says, we're ambassadors for Christ. We are high-ranking officials with a ministry that we've been commissioned by God. It's been committed to us. Verse 19 tells us. That word beseech means to call to, to summon, to admonish, to exhort. In Acts 2.40, Peter on the day of Pentecost says with many other words he testified and exhorted, saying, save yourselves from this untoward generation. You know, we, we need to warn the lost out there that they need to save themselves from the wicked, this wicked world and the sin that, that, is, that, is, that is destroying them. See, God has given us the privilege and the responsibility to, to encourage, to instruct those that we have in contact in our, in our own, each individual world or sphere of work that, that they need to save themselves from death and hell. To tell them the good news, the gospel, that God can give them eternal life just like he has us. That's our commission. That's our purpose. That is the reason we are still here in this world. We're not here just to have a job, live a, the American dream, have a family, you know, raise children so they can have a good life. No, we're here. We've been commissioned with the ministry of reconciliation. To testify the grace of God available to those wicked and lost souls. Souls for whom Christ died. Soul made in the image of God. You see, when Saul of Tarsus received Christ as the Lord, the Son of God, everything changed. Everything changed. He was a new creation. Have you been made a new creation by the Lord Jesus Christ? Have you been given a new understanding? Not only of God, but of people. Are you in the family of God? Have you been given a new purpose? Have you been born again?